My guest today is Steve Sims. The original introduction that I recorded was me basically reading down Steve's bio and giving you all of this information that you can read anywhere else. And when I got done with it, I thought, you know what? This doesn't sound real. This doesn't sound like what Steve would want me to do. So I decided that I would delete it and just tell you my experience from this episode and what you're going to get when you listen to this. Steve is just a down-to-earth, regular guy who worked really hard, came up with some great ideas, and built this amazing business. When you talk to him, when you see him, someday, like I had mentioned in the podcast, I look forward to meeting him personally. I know the person I'm going to get at the other end. I know who it's going to be when I see him and I shake his hand or we sit down and we have an old-fashioned together. He's just the real deal. It just all comes from his heart, you can tell. He was written up in a Forbes magazine article and they called him the real life Wizard of Oz. As you'll hear, what he does is deliver these amazing experiences for anyone that has the money to afford what he can offer. You can basically say to him, I need you to do A, or I need this experience here or there, and he just makes it happen. Check out his book, Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. This is where he dissects how he's actually created this amazing business, but it also is not just about his business alone, but how any entrepreneur can take what it is that they want to accomplish and use the model of his book to get those things done, to get out of your own way, to take the first step and just go out and try something and not overanalyze it. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did having this conversation with Steve Sims. Thank you for listening. Now sit back and enjoy. Today, my guest is Steve Sims. Steve, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Very excited, man. I, uh, I've been following you for uh, quite some time now. Um, do you like the title, The Real Life Wizard of Oz? Does, <laughs> do you like that? I just want to know because I don't... <laughs> no. Um, when it came out, when, when For- Forbes wrote a big article on me um, and they named like Elon Musk and Richard Branson and all these... The article was fantastic. You know, the article... I couldn't have done a better puff piece and a show-off piece if I'd have done it myself. Um, <laughs> but then, then they came up with the idea of uh, titling me as Steve Sims, the real-life Wizard of Oz. Now, this got a lot of people's attention, but at the end of the day, he was some dodgy old pervert that didn't do anything hiding behind a curtain. So <laughs> I thought to myself, hmm, I'm not quite sure I like that, but you know, people, people I'm proud to say, see it for the essence of the imagination and the creativity and not the fact that he was a big fraud. <laughs> right. I want to go back a little bit, if you don't mind. I know uh, there's so much I have to ask you. Okay. Um, but I also want to lay the groundwork. So when anyone listens to this, they understand who you are and what you're about and where you came from. So it, can you give how you became who you are today and what you do? Yeah. Um, very simply, I'm the same as everyone else. Every entrepreneur in the planet started off by being pissed off about something, whether it be their finances, their life, or something the way it was being done. But I believe that entrepreneurs work out of aggravation, and it's aggravated oysters that make pearls. We, first of all, got to be pissed off about something. Um, I was kicked out of school at 15, straight onto the building site in London, um, and that was my life. And I thought, really? You know, is this it? You know, my dad, my uncle, my cousins... Even my granddad in his 80s was on this building site. And I thought, 
this is my life. Now, of course, I didn't have Instagram to tell me how inadequate my life was at the time. So I had nothing to gauge myself by. But, um, you know, I just thought there's got to be something else. And so like every entrepreneur, we jump out of the frying pan into the volcano. You know, we just kind of like, well, let's try it. And then we fail. And then we try something else and we fail at that. And we gain all this education. I realized one thing that was my, my, my true north, as they say. I was in the wrong room. Now, as a, as a bald, broke British biker, all those bees, um, I was in a room with all of those people. You know, I remember going into, into the pub at night and throwing the money on the table, knowing exactly how many beers you could afford. Two. And maybe if you scrap together all the other pennies, get one more and eke it out between everyone else. And I thought to myself, is this it? And so I had to change the room. I had to go into a room where people were demanding better of themselves, demanding more impact, demanding more, you know, income. And so I didn't know how to do it, but I ended up building up this Trojan horse. Um, I ended up as a doorman of a nightclub, knowing where all the nightclubs were. Then I started throwing my own parties. Then I started throwing parties for other people. Then I started managing other people's parties. And I went from closing down clubs in Hong Kong to working with Sir Elton John on his Oscar party, the Kentucky Derby, the New York Fashion Week, the Palm Beach Polo. I ended up working for the biggest events in the planet. And the one single filter I, I always had was I would only ever invite rich people to these events. Why? Because I knew what broke people were like, because I was broke. And broke <laughs> people can't afford shit. So I would, only, I would only invite millionaires and billionaires. So I changed the room I was in. And the only reason I did it was because I wanted to walk up to someone rich and go, hey, how come you're filthy rich and I'm not? And so I created my own uh, concierge firm in order to be able to ask that question. It's so cool. And before we go any further, I have to tell you now that I'm sitting here across from you, even virtually, that I love the way you express yourself. And I love dealing with people who are down to earth and honest and say what's on their mind. And as you know, and you even have some of this on your website, there's so much fluff in the world today. And there's so much of the facade of I am this person and I do all of this and I do all of that. And it's just nice to sit with a successful, real person. And I really mean that. It just, it's, it's truly an honor to be sitting here talking with you. Isn't that a shame? <laughs> it, is. It? No, it is. really, isn't it a shame that if you, if, you re, if you rewind that and listen to it, you're thanking me for being real. Mm -hmm. And therefore, all you're doing is validating that the rest of the planet is not. So, yeah. you know, it should be. It should be something we take for granted. We should meet someone and go, well, I know what that guy's all about, but we don't because people spend so much energy on trying to be someone they're not. You never get to meet them. You've got all of these shields. And as you say, there's these facades yeah. that you never get through, all of these armors. And you're like, well, what's the guy really about? I made it. I made a decision very early on. And I, you know, we all get experience three seconds after we needed it. But I remember there was one part in my life that I woke up and like all entrepreneurs, we had that little nagging doubt. Oh, should I really be doing this? Should I really look like this? Should I really sound like this? And like a moron, I listened to it. 
And so I changed my persona. I actually tried to use big words. You know, I, I wore suits. I took my earrings out. I covered my tattoos. I became someone that I thought would be easier for you. What I ended up doing was I made it harder for you to understand me. But here was the weird thing. I had an expensive watch. Now, if anyone knows me, I'm in a black T-shirt and jeans every single day of my life. Mm -hmm. I ride motorcycles. I do not own a car. I collect motorcycles. I bought a car at this time. I bought a car. I bought tailor-made suits. I bought an expensive watch. And then I realized, these were for you. I was trying to impress you. Mm -hmm. And all of those trappings and trinkets of, wow, look at me, I've got money, gained me, and this is the daft thing, a lot of clients. And I was making more money with a lot of people I didn't like. <laughs> I didn't like, and I couldn't connect with. So I realized very early on that, um, and this put me actually on a serious note, it put me into a mass depression. Um, thankfully, I came out of the other side, sold the watch, got rid of the suit, got rid of the car, been on motorbikes ever since. I want to make it impossible for me to be misunderstood by you, okay? I want you to never be able to sit on a fence and go, well, what's this Steve Sims about? I want to make it so simple that you can go, like some people, I would imagine some people on this podcast have gone, don't like that guy, I'm gone. And that's fine. There were billions of people in the planet. If a few bugger off after 30 seconds, my mortgage is still fine. Um, <laughs> But I want to make it very easy for you to know what side of the fence you're on. Either jump on my side, be part of the family, the community, and grow and get uncomfortable, or go, go about your way. Either way is fine, but there's nothing in the planet today worse than fence sitters. And I decided I'm going to make it very easy for you to make sure you know which side of the fence to be on. Yeah, and it's true. I know where I stand with you. I make a comment on your social media. You always write back. You always say thank you. You always say whatever. Whatever. It's just it feels like a real relationship, and it's and it's awesome. And that's the way it should be. And I think should be yes. should be bingo. Good. So everyone out there, are you connecting with your people as you, or are you connecting with people as the person you think they want to see? It's a deep question. But stop spending any effort on trying to be someone you're not. I love it. Perfect. Okay. So and I, I know this is going to sound like rushed to the audience, but I have you for such a little bit of time and I have a huge sheet of notes and things and I have to ask you. So the book deal. So Blue Fishing, The Art of Making Things Happen. How did that deal come about? Like you said, in I think 2016 is when the book deal happened. How did they come to you and say, hey, why don't you take all your experiences and what you do and write a book? Is that what they basically said? No. Okay. Uh, when, when you actually start hanging around with people different, people that do things differently, impact, you, opportunities come at you, okay? And I was at a party up in New York and I'm at the bar doing what I do, drinking old fashions and telling stories and this this woman was introduced to me and it was a case of hey Steve tell her the story about you and Bocelli or you and Elton John or when you did this with the Pope so I just told a few stories and um she came back to me and she said you know you should write a book now we've all heard that before and I'm like yeah 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 a few days later she actually contacted me she was part of Simon and Schuster one of the largest publishing houses in the planet and uh she said no seriously we want you to write a book we want you to write a book on all the rich and powerful people all over the planet that you deal with and what you do. 
And I said, you know, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. So <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> so then we got chatting and I did a I did a speech for a friend of mine called Joe Polish at the Genius Network event. Yeah. And it was like, hey, I got kicked out of school, but this is how I did this with the Pope and Elon Musk. And they got a wind of this, this uh, talk that I gave and came back to me about a week later and went, oh, hang on a minute. We don't want you naming people. We want to know how a bricklayer from East London managed to do this, you know? And so I was like, okay, that makes sense. So I did the book for, for a variety of reasons. One of them, actually both of them were completely selfish. Now that I think about it, <laughs> your kids are never impressed with you. It doesn't matter who you are. Your kids are never impressed with you. Me being able to write a book, I'll be like, hey, kids, your dad's an author now, you know, and I just wanted to wind them up. So one of them was personal satisfaction to irritate the crap out of my three kids. The other selfish reason was to get people to stop thinking. Now, that seems the opposite of what everyone's trying to do. But haven't you noticed when someone says, hey, we should do this? And they go, yeah, that's brilliant. Let's build a business plan. Let's do a vivid vision. Let's do a forecast. Let's get an analytical survey. Let's do a crowdsource. Shut up. <laughs> Try it. See if you like it. See if someone wants to buy it. See if someone's got a problem that you're now the solution. Try something. So I've always said, forget about your IQ. Focus on your I can. And I thought to myself, if I can demonstrate in this book, that a bricklayer from London is doing this, then you're already out of excuses. So selfishly, I wanted to create a world that there were more doers than whoers in the planet. And there's, and there's a lot of whoers out there. There's no substance. So selfishly, I wanted to piss the kids off and I wanted to create more people to be aggravated enough to go, well, hell, if that guy can do it. Um, and it came out, as you say, I got the deal in uh, 2016. Book came out in 17. Um, and I thought to myself, well, and I got paid nicely. So I thought, I don't know if anyone's going to believe it. They're going to buy it. Because when you look at the industry of books, there's thousands of books coming out every week. And I thought, I don't know if this is really going to appeal to anyone. So Simon Schuster, they sent me, which was weird, because they'd always wired me my retainer. But they posted me a two and a half grand check. And they said, we want you to go to Barnes and Noble and we want you to sit there with a pile of books and a, and a couple of bottles of champagne and sign books. Now, is this, is this a video podcast or is this an audio podcast or both? It's both. All right, okay. So for those people that don't have the pleasure of seeing me, <laughs> let's, let's be blunt. On a Saturday afternoon when you're walking around with your kids, there is no way in God's green earth you're going to go, well, he looks nice and friendly. Let's go and find out why you're going to avoid me like the plague. So I thought, I can't do that. I'm going to end up drinking the champagne. It's all going to go wrong. So I thought to myself, no, I'm not doing that. So I, I went down to a local whiskey bar uh, that, I, that I happened to have frequented a couple of times. And I said, look, here you go. I'm going to sign this check over to you and turn the lights on when we run out of money. And they went, oh, and so I invited a bunch of my friends. Again, if you demand better of you and your circle, you end up with pretty good friends. Mm -hmm. So I had everyone from like, you know, Jim Quick, Cole Hatter, Sonia Hatter, Greg Reed. I had a whole bunch, Jesse Elder. I had a whole bunch 
of really cool people that were in there uh, that also have big followings and, and uh, you know, pretty well known. I invited Lewis Howes, you know, a whole bunch of people from there. And we literally just stuck a pile of books at the end of the bar because we were told we had to uh, for it to be a book launch and just basically got drunk for the night. And here's the <laughs> funny thing. I never even had a website announcing this book, you know, because I've never done a book. But Cole and Sonia Hatta, sneaky little buggers that they are, they did a secret uh, video of the night, which I was told was to get B-roll footage for a new video for Cole Hatter. They did this incredible, unbelievable video of my book launch and put it to the music of Dream On by Aerosmith, one of the best tunes in the planet, and gave it to me. And it was tremendous. And what they did was they went around all of these people going, hey, what do you think of Steve doing this uh, book? Now, if you go to stevedsims.com, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything, but if you go to that website, we put the video on the front page of the website because Simon Schuster said, you're not even, not even promoting the book. You have to promote the book. So I went, all right, I'll stick this video up. Now the video at the beginning, everyone's like, oh, it's such an honor for to be here. Steve's done really well. He's worked. It's all bullshit. It's all kind of like, you know, I, I'm sober and I'm on film. So I'm going to say something nice about him. And then as the video gets on, obviously the night gets on and the old fashions get going on. And he's like, well, that bleep, bleep, bleep. You know, oh, bleep. And he's just <laughs> abusive. And I just thought to myself, that's real. That's, that's raw. People have had a couple of drinks in them and now they're just kind of like screaming at me and swearing. And I just thought, that's real. So I put that up. And the funny thing is, that video launched it. People suddenly saw that I wasn't trying to hide behind any kind of misconception of perfection, that this was as good as it gets. And now the book's been released and translated into Thai, Vietnamese, Chinese, Mandarin Chinese, Korean, um, it's now uh, Polish, um, and it's now being translated into Russian. And it's gone worldwide as a bestseller. It's incredible how this has taken off and what it's done for me and for those people that I'm now able to communicate with, shake them up a little bit, get them uncomfortable, and then spit them out into the world to be more impactful. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, and it's truly a Steve Sims book launch. Like people should take note that that's why it's so cool to meet you and to be talking with you. It's like this real, real, real thing. And that's what I love. It's just, it's completely refreshing. So ask why three times? What does that mean? Uh, we're in a world today where we're very scared of telling you what we want. You know, if you say to someone, hey, you win a million dollars this weekend, what are you going to do? They're going to go, oh, I'm going to get a, a, a Ferrari and I'm going to get a hot tub and all the Hawaiian tropic girls are going to come and sit in the hot tub with me. And you go, oh, that's great. <laughs> but three months down the line, what are you going to do? And then it's going to be things like, well, you know, my school, my kid's school doesn't have a basketball court. I'd really like to help them. You see, people have a knee jerk answer and then they have the real core. And people don't want to tell you what the core is. So this is what I do. People will say to me, and here's a tip and a trick for everyone out there, basic communication. And in fact, it's heavily used by the FBI. I know it sounds funny, but it is just the basics of communication. And when anyone ever uh, says to you what they want, respond in the same 
uh, uh, rate and tonality and speed that they've said. Now, let me give you an example. Oh, I really want to do this. And you go, oh, that's really fantastic. And then you drop it. You go, oh, that's really fantastic. But why? And when you drop that tone, they, they in their head, they go, oh, they reset. And look bodily-wise, if that's sat in front of you, you know, the body language, you can see them kind of like sink down a little bit more because the guard's not up. When the chest is out there, it's all like, rah, rah, rah. but then they sink back and they go, oh, that's a good question. And they, they then go, well, actually this happened. And in fact, probably rather than going on about that, I'll give you a story as an example, if I may. Absolutely. So I was working for Elton John for about eight years and we had an office at the time in Palm Beach and I wasn't in the office and I get this call come through to me from one of the team and they said, hey, Steve, we got a guy on the phone from New York and he wants to meet Sir Elton John. Um, you know, you need to speak to him because you're the one that's going over to be with Elton on that time. You know, let's find out what he wants. Great. So I answer the phone and I said, hey, how you doing? And he's like, hey, how you doing? I want to get a picture with Sir Elton John. Mm -hmm match the tonality oh that's fantastic that's great why so then he comes back with well he's you know he's one of the last living legends he's an icon he's brilliant i want to get a photograph with him uh, for my desk he's gonna die soon and yeah that's it two things one there was no direct response to my question of why and secondly if you notice he never matched my tonality drop mm -hmm. he carried on with his excitement so i said to him Oh, that's fantastic. I'll come back to you. Let me see what I can do. And I hung up. Never got his email. Never got his phone number. There was no real driving core. It was all very superficial. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then about a month later, and we're about a month and a half away from the party now, one of the girls at the office contacted me. She said, hey, we got this guy from New York on the phone. Wants to meet Sir Elton John. I don't think it's the same guy as the other one. Because I already contacted him and said, look, you know, we don't touch this guy. But I'm wondering if it's his mate that's trying to kind of do it because you wouldn't respond to him. Mm -hmm. So in my head, I'm like, oh, well, I've got to get rid of this guy as well. I went, all right, put me through. New Yorker comes on the phone. Hey, how you doing? I said, oh, I'm great. You know, I, I hear you want to uh, meet Sir Elton John. He went, yeah, I want to meet Sir Elton John. I, I want to have a chat with him. So I said, oh, that's fantastic. Brilliant. I said, uh, why? And he went, oh. Uh, and he had to think about it, but still had a bit of bravado about it. He's like, oh, uh, well, uh, he's, a, he's an icon. He's a, he's a legend. Um, I, I want, want to meet him and have a chat with him, get a picture with him. Uh, there's things. Now, I could see he was stumbling. So I said to him very quietly, in as Chris Voss says, your midnight DJ voice, I said to him, what thing? And just shut up. And a different man came back on the phone. And this is all he said. So when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school. And he used to bring me back from school. Never my mum, it was always my dad. He'd take me there, bring me back. Now the car, we had a cassette player in it. And the cassette was jammed. And it was Elton John's greatest hits. He could play, but it couldn't eject. So all the way to school... We would be singing our lungs out to Elton John. On the way back from school, we'd be singing our lungs out to Elton John. 
Now, then he got a new car, and this car had a CD player in it. So he bought Elton John's Greatest Hits. And again, we would sing our lungs out all the way to school and sing our lungs out on the way back. And then I started to get into high school. And for the first couple of years, he still had to take me and pick me up. And I used to jump into that car so fast because he would have Elton John blaring before I'd even got in the car. And I would stare out the window with mass embarrassment as my dad sung his lungs out all the way home. And I would say to my mum, can you make him stop singing Elton John for Christ's sake? She was like, ah, it's his thing. And all the way to high school and all the way back, he would he'd be like, bye, son. And I'd slam the door quickly so no one else could hear Elton John coming out of the, out of the door. He said, my dad died about 25 years ago. He said, I've got kids, I'm married, and I'll be traveling to work. We'll be going on a vacation, going down to take my wife out for dinner one night. He said, the radio will be on. He said, and Elton John will come on the radio. He said, and for the next three and a half minutes, my dad is sat in the seat next to me, blaring his lungs out to Elton John. I want to thank Elton for bringing my dad back to me every now and then for three minutes at a time. That was it. There was the why. There was the core. He was too embarrassed to tell me that story at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So he hid behind that. Oh, he's great. He's been here. All the bravado. But you'd have never got to it if you hadn't have used you in a Sherlock and gone, why? Why? Why is also the most aggressive, combative word out there? For some reason, it pisses people off. I get people text me and DM me and Facebook message me and they go, Sims, I see you in LA. I'm going to be in LA next week. We should get together for a beer. I want to buy you a steak. And all I will respond with is, why? And the amount of people I get, well, I heard you were cool. You're just a dick, you know, and they will get offensive. And I'll be like, eh, all right. And then I'll get other people going, good question. I wanted to discuss it. I wanted to talk about this. I wanted to bring this. I wanted to say thank you. And there's my why. The older you get, the more you need the why. This guy was a perfect example without John of what his true why, what his true core was. Now, with that, I was able to go to Elton John, tell him the story and got them to meet. And it was a very teary, wonderful moment. It was a very powerful moment. But that was a, that was a perfect example of how the why drives to the core. And without the core, you haven't got a connection. It's all superficial. Yeah, that's a great story. Gosh. The next one, never be the first call. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'm really crap at introducing myself, and I also think it's pointless. So what I'll do is if I need to get in touch with you, and I come in and I say, hey, yeah, hey, how are you? My name's, my name's Steve Sims. You know, we, we, we got a chat. I know the, the Pope and Elon Musk and Richard Branson. I'm a big deal. Can I be on your podcast? You're going to be like, this guy's a dick. <laughs> You know, I want nothing to do with this guy. You're going to go straight past any of the information I've given you and just come to the assumption of a self-promoting, full of himself, egotistical prick. Now, let's change it. Let's say, for the sake, next week, um, you're talking with one of your buddies and your buddy turns around and says, oh, have you heard about this guy called Steve Sims? He's worked with Sorrell, John, Elon Musk in the pub. The guy's a big deal. He says verbatim, word for word, what I said. But all of a sudden, you're now interested. You're kind of like, oh, you know, can you make an intro? 
And then when you do get to speak with me, I've already got all this credibility. So I haven't got to sell much. So I can be humble and sit there and go, yeah, you know, what do you want? Oh, I've got a podcast. Well, okay, let me see if I, I can do all of that shit. Because mm-hmm. I've already got the credibility. So I noticed years ago, there's much more powerful and it's a much more brief of a conversation if you're riding on someone else's credibility and connection and introduction. So if I want to meet someone, I'll look at whoever else is in that circle, who do they respect, and get them to make the introduction. And then they will contact me and go, oh, yeah, you know, Jimmy told me to call you. God, you've done some weird things. And I'm like, yeah, I have, but I want to do my next weird thing with you. Shall I tell you what it is? So you can have that kind of conversation. If I'm at a party and someone stood next to me and they say, hey, what do you do? Based on that body language, based on how they're asking the question, will be based on how I respond. So I've said to people before, Oh, uh, I, I own the valet company that's parking all the cars here. Oh, I actually work for the security. I'm undercover. Oh, I, I own a petrol <laughs> pump station just down the road. I'll come up with all of those kind of things to find out, first of all, do they want to stay there and still have a conversation? If they do, great. You know, um, but then if it's someone that I think I want to do business, I want to say, um, actually, do you know the best thing? Do you know Roger over there? I'll get you a drink. You go and ask Roger what I do. And then I'll get a drink. And of course, like Roger be like, oh my God, that guy, that. And then of course, he'd be back going, oh yeah. And you'll have that kind of thing. (laughs) So I'm always very careful to uh, be very calculated on how I get introduced and who introduces me. Yeah, it's that theory of uh, the circle of influence type thing, right? That four, four, then three, then two, then one. And so the more you can have those people talk about you by the time you reach the person in the middle that you eventually wanted to be maybe introduced to or do business with, yep. you, it, you've been built up so big, you don't have to say a word. You have to say nothing. I've had people literally phone me going, oh, Billy, Billy told me to give you a call. And I'll be like, oh, that's great. How can I help you? And I haven't had to sell myself. I haven't right. had to talk about, I've had to do none of that. Yes. So, if you become the solution to someone else's problem, you ain't got to worry about any of the shine. Yeah. All right. So this is the last one of those three bullet points that I, I when I, they caught my eye, I wanted to make sure I asked. And you already alluded to this one, but you said, don't be easy to understand, be impossible to misunderstand. There's a confused client will never give you his checkbook. Okay. And so I noticed years ago, that um, anyone that's ever heard the term the big C knows it stands for cancer, okay? Um, The big C in business is confusion. So you say I alluded to it earlier, you alluded it to even earlier than that. Okay. (laughs) When you actually remove all the confusion with what it is you do and who you are, you make it very easy for the other person to now make an educated decision on whether or not you're the person they want to do business with, hang out with, whatever, okay? So stop trying to confuse your clients. Here's the classic mistake. Hey, I've got a new business. Let me get a website. Let me get a guide to write all the copy for the website with words that I could not even spell. I could not even (laughs) say, but hey, they make me look smart. 
And the person that reads it goes, okay, well, this person's obviously, you know, at a dictionary or, you know, was, was, was a, an English major in, in Oxford. And then they get you on the phone. You're like, hello, Bob, how can I help you? And they go, well, hang on a minute. There's a disconnect. And that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure that you have full transparency. Who you are. What do you stand for? What do you do? What is the solution that you provide to whose problem? So if you've got all of that transparency, you are impossible to misunderstand. But people try to be something. They lean against cars they don't own. They, they take photographs on jets that have not left the runway. They talk a good talk of bullshit and bollocks. And it, it distorts you. And people look at you. And here's the thing. You're never, never going to get someone phone you up going, hey, Steve, I was looking at your website. I'm really confused what it is you do. What is it you do? You're never going to get that. People are going to, they've got a problem. They need a solution. That's what being an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur is for people to outsource their problems to, and you then send them an invoice to do so. It's ain't complicated, but that's the world of an entrepreneur. So if you make it very uh, confusing, as to who you are or what problems you solve, then you're not in business. And so that's why I'm a great believer that you've really got to focus on the clarity. I'll give you a classic one. People, if you, if you open up all your social pages, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Tinder, whatever, and you look on there, you look on LinkedIn and you've got a, you've got a suit on and you're all looking smart and debonair, and then you go over to Facebook and this girl's gone wild. You're sitting there with a Mai Tai on the edge of the beach going, yeah! you know, you're confusing people. And you never want to confuse people. And there's a lot of people out there, I like to call them idiots, um, <laughs> that look at LinkedIn and they go, well, you have to do that for LinkedIn because it's more professional than Facebook. Facebook is the largest business advertising platform in the planet. So why is LinkedIn the business one and not not Facebook? That's the first thing. Secondly, because you're a genius and you think you have to be buttoned up on LinkedIn, but you can be in like real bad Bahama shorts on Facebook, why is it that Apple is not? Why is it that Nike is not? Why is it that Samsung, Chevrolet, any brand out there is the exact same on LinkedIn? as they are on Facebook, as they are on Snapchat, as they are on Twitter. Why? Because you are who you are. Why start confusing your clients by being two different people? If you love wearing suits, hey, wear suits on all platforms. If you love wearing Bahama shorts, wear Bahama shorts on every platform. But don't be two different people. It breeds confusion. And understand that social is nothing more than a platform of consumption. If I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but if you got 10 people together and you said, hey, what's the news tonight? And then we're going to talk about it at nine o'clock tomorrow. At nine o'clock tomorrow, you would still be talking about coronavirus, potential riots, uh, you know, new laws coming in, uh, you know, stimulus packages. The news would be exactly the same. But then if you ask those 10 people, what news station did you look at? They'll go, well, KTLA, ABC, CNN, BBC. These are all points of consumption for the same news. That's what social platforms are. Whatever you post on Facebook, 
post on LinkedIn. Whatever's posted on LinkedIn, post on Twitter. These are nothing more than points of consumption. I know people that go, ah, I don't want to watch Facebook. Who cares? Whatever I'm posting on Facebook, I'm going to post on Twitter, so I'm still going to get you. So don't change to be anybody that you're not. The big brands don't do it. So why did your smart ass tell you that it's a good idea to do it? And for everybody that's listening to this or eventually watching the YouTube video, the prime example is just go to your website, go to, go to Steve's website and you'll see that exactly the person you're seeing hearing here is exactly who's on that website. The tone of the, of the copy that's on the website is you throughout the entire website. Well, that's because I wrote it. Um, And that's, that's, there's a lot of people that go and get copywriters. Okay. They, they missed the point. And again, I don't want to get too deep into this, but they missed the point of what social and websites are for. That's to generate and ignite a conversation. So if I come into you and I start speaking Japanese to you and you don't speak Japanese, end of conversation. If I get somebody to put together copy onto my website that makes me sound articulate, and overly smart and overly anal on everything, you may go, oh, I don't like the sound of this guy. Or worse, you may go, I like the sound of this guy. And then you reach out to me and you suddenly find that I am nothing like that person. So what you should do is don't look for a copywriter. And I love copy. Copywriters are great. Um, We can go into copywriters another time. I think everyone should look at copywriters in the future. But when you're doing basic, critical copy, for like your website, puke out your thoughts and then get somebody to tweak your thoughts. Don't mm-hmm. impose it. Just correct the grammar, correct the terminology, maybe reframe it a bit. But that's what I did. I, I, I call it verbal puke. You know, I will <laughs> literally, and one of the ways that I do it is I've got this thing like a smartphone, like everyone in the planet has one foot away from them. I record, I push record and I go, Hey, welcome to the world of Steve Sims. I'm here to tell you about this, blah, blah, blah. And I will talk it through. And then I will send it over to one of my assistants to get it translated and then to adjust it for grammar and correction and flow. But you should always lead your website, your most important initial point of conversation with words that came from your head, not somebody else. Yeah. And your website is exactly the perfect example of that. So everyone has to go look at your website because I think it's refreshing. Again, everything about you is refreshing. So I have less than 15 minutes with you. So I want to just talk about a few things on your website so that the audience understands. So Sims Distillery is the first thing, which is your online community, right? It's my community. I wanted to build a community for people that wanted to ask me questions, ask a private community questions. We do live Facebook AMAs where people come in to answer that question. So if you're a member of Sims Distillery and you go, hey, I'm having a problem with, problem with finding a good copywriter or, you know, what's better, TikTok or Instagram or should I be doing more videos or should I be doing more static postings? I will literally bring one of my expert friends in and we'll do a 45-minute live AMA where you and the other Sims Distillery members can physically ask these people questions and get results out of your answers. Awesome. Okay, uh, we don't have to go into this, but I know that you're a keynote speaker. It, it, I, I've seen all you know different things of you, but yep. I just want the audience to know everything about you. You also offer private coaching. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, 
And then you also offer this private 30 minute phone call that you'll do with people. Yep. Right. Okay. And then you have the SIM speakeasy, which is the thing that I think is really interesting, which <laughs> to me, it's like a two day round table slash mastermind. Is that a good description of it? So how much do you know about it? Well, I just, I, I, you know, from when I was going to maybe attend the one here in Scottsdale that happened not too long yeah. ago, sort of looking at it, it was, to me, it felt like a mastermind. Like we, you were going to go around and everyone but was going to what information sort of... did you actually know about Scottsdale? And I'm putting oh, you on the spot here. So God, give I, all of the information that you knew for a fact about Scottsdale. I think the only time when I looked at it, I just potentially knew the dates and the cost and that it was going to be capped at. I don't know if it was at the time that one might've been capped at like 25 people or something like that. I don't think it was 40, but I don't remember. So the point is that we actually, we run these speakeasies as a reverse mastermind. Okay. So what we do is we tell you the city as we did Scottsdale. We didn't tell you where it was going to be. We tell you it's $2,000 and we give you the dates. Right. Okay. Then good. What so I passed. You that's part. all I knew. Okay. Yeah. And, but we don't tell you who's going to turn up. We don't tell you what you're going to learn. We don't tell you any of those things. And the reason is because everyone that signs up, we reach out to them and we would go, Hey, thanks for joining up. Thanks for registering with the speakeasy. What's your problem? And we want to know what our problem is. And if they come back and they go, well, I'm having problem gaining credibility or I want to get more viewers or I want to, can I go into coaching or I want to do more speaking gigs or I want to, when we can find out what that problem is, then I know who to bring in to actually teach and train during that two day event to physically answer the problems they have. So I work it in reverse. There's no point in me saying, Hey, come to my event. I've got this person, this person, this person, because mm -hmm. you may go, well, I like those two, but I have no idea who those two are. I want to know your problem and then I'm going to bring people in. And by not telling anybody what it, who's going to be there, even the attendees, the whole speakeasy mentality is that you don't know what's going on. You just know that the people in there, both teaching, training and attendees are going to be creative disruptors and rock stars because it takes that mentality to come along to one of my events. And we cap them all at 40. We capped the one in Scottsdale at 40, although we only had 36 turn up because there were some flight issues because I think we had that big Texas mm -hmm. storm come through at the time. So sadly, we lost about four people, but we cap them all at 40. Uh, next one's in San Diego, the 19th and the 20th of July. And that's all you know. Yep. You know, that, that's, that is literally it. Yep. All right, cool. Um, the deep dive is when you would come to somebody's organization and do a full day of on-site consulting, yeah. correct? That's, 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 the, that's the corporate where we actually go in and find out what's going on. It's very shaky. You know, it's very disruptive. It gets a lot of people uncomfortable um, because we really go in there and try and tear down, you know, why people are doing things, what they're looking for as an outcome, and usually to see where the disconnect is on those. Great. Okay. And then you also have your own podcast, which is the art of making things happen. And yep. do you, is most of the people from what I can see um, in the sort of entrepreneurial space? Yes, but not from how you think. You see, I've had priests, I've had gang members, I've had uh, lifers, I've had prostitutes, I've had Fortune 500, I've had rocket scientists. I have many, many different range of people on there 
But as I said at the beginning of the show, at one point or time, they were pissed off and they were aggravated. Mm-hmm. And that's what caused them to then go into a different world. So you're, we're all entrepreneurial, but they're not all running Fortune 500 companies or CEOs. They come from very, very wide. And I'll also rant on there. You know, something will happen to me. I saw that Meghan Merkel interview recently a while ago, and I did a, a deconstruct on the power of branding that could have been done if we'd have had Meghan still in the royal family and how brand-wise it was a for and against with her leaving the royal family. So I'll often just go on there and spout about things that I'm up to that have come to my mind or quite simply have pissed me off and I need to vent. (laughs) And then on top of everything else is if you didn't have enough to do, you have Sims Media, which to me looks like you're basically helping anybody, any entrepreneur, any person with their branding, their PR, their marketing, podcast stuff, book launches, product launches, right? So you, because you've done all of this stuff, you're like, hey, I can help. So you have Sims Media as well. I've done it for everyone from Piaget, Cartier, Ferrari, to major events, to major influencers. Um, And I find the way people work media quite often is wrong. They have a field of dreams moment. Hey, I'm going to pay for an article in Forbes they get the article in Forbes and then they sit there by the phone thinking, okay, ring your bugger. And it doesn't work like that. So I'm a great believer. Getting media is one thing, but what you do with it is everything. Mm-hmm. So the way I work kind of works. So now what we did was about three years ago, we started allowing clients to actually operate under the way that we worked. And then it was about six months ago that we physically launched Sims Media and able to get you to where you want to be given the message you want to be given. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Henry, your son, does he work with you? Is he part of your team? <laughs> yes. Uh, and he's branching out to, to a new thing. And I laugh because again, your kids grow up going, Oh dad, you know, you don't know everything. You don't know. I don't want to follow <laughs> you. You, you know, and they, they laugh at you. And then they go to school where for eight hours, the school teaches them, there's only one answer. And if you don't get this answer and you don't tick the right box, you failed. And then they come home to an entrepreneur who doesn't even know where the box is. And there's 20 different answers and each one of them is making them half a million dollars, you know? So it's a real disconnect. And he had trouble with that. And he was studying engineering, um, which was a very analytical profession. Mm -hmm. And then he would come home to his dad, who's sipping an old-fashioned, talking to someone in Korea, and suddenly getting wired 1.2 mil to do something. He's like, how can this be? (laughs) You know? Um, So eventually, he actually said he wanted to kind of just float around to a couple of the events that I was speaking at. And then he suddenly started to see the world of entrepreneurial being a lot more challenging to him. And now he's actually gone out on it. So it's, it's beautiful to see how he's come from the analytical world and he's now taking what he knows about that. And he's very driven, focused on results. And he works in Sims Media and he's launching his own group. So I'm very proud of him. Okay. So he's actually doing some of his own things. He's not just. He is. He is. It. Okay, cool. You, you want to you you basically build people up to be good enough that they can leave mm-hmm. and treat them so well they don't want to. Yeah. Um, so it's good to see him out on his own. I'm happy Perfect. with that. Awesome. Okay. So we're out of time. One quick question. If you only had one motorcycle, which brand would you choose? Oh, 
Oh, that's the nastiest question. I know. I knew. I knew it was gonna. Because oh. I see all your bikes lined up. I see Ducatis. I see uh, uh, your Harley and Norton. I'm like, oh man, which one? What's his favorite? Oh, this is kind of weird because if anything, it's probably the least exclusive exclusive of my bikes. But I bought a Harley Street Glide um, uh, about a, a year ago. And it's the only comfortable two-up bike I've got because all my others are single-seaters or they're a little bit uncomfortable. So this is the only one that my wife can come on. So I would probably say that one because it's the only one that me and her can actually get out and do our taco runs up to Santa Barbara on. Perfect. Okay. Tough question. Tough, horrible question. I I would have had another eight of those. Like, you've already explained your favorite trick. It sounds like it's an old-fashioned. but Yeah, it uh, is. But I would have a ton of them. I wish I had more time with you. I, I so enjoyed this. I'm going to put all your links in the show notes so that both anyone listening to the podcast will see them in the show notes and on YouTube. And I will make sure they know where to find you. This has been a complete honor for me. I, again, to meet you even virtually and to have a real person who's doing real things at a real honest level and not leaning against a Lamborghini that you don't own or sitting in a shell of a, a fuselage of a plane that doesn't even fly to, for photos. It just means a lot to me. There's something about it. And I hope to meet you in person sooner than later. I hope to attend one of your events and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I know you have many options to listen to various podcasts, and I'm honored that you chose to listen to mine. I would love it if you would rate my podcast five stars and write a nice review. It really helps to bring up the rankings of the podcast to other listeners. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Joe Costello Show. I appreciate you very much.